we are telling stories during Advent here. Uh, normally we do small stories where we call it story space and someone gives a three to five minute glimpse about where Jesus is at work in their lives. But during Advent, we decided that uh, we, we just sensed God stirring us to dive in deeper into some of the stories within our community. And so instead of just having little glimpses, we decided let's actually formulate our, our message time around how God is at work in different ways. Uh, and, and when, so, so this whole idea of, of Advent and, and looking into the, the story of the coming of Jesus, we get this glimpse and image of so many, so many moments of what we call light and life. Um, in, in the book of John, uh, we hear uh, the evangelist John proclaim, you know, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all people and, and of all humankind. And there's this beautiful image about what that looks like when Jesus intersects with our, with our lives and our world. doesn't mean it's all happy and clappy, but it means that, that things change on a fundamental level when we encounter Jesus. And the way that that happens for every single person is different, and it's unique, and it's often surprising. Uh, and so, so when Jesus comes our way, it's, it's never ordinary. It's always in a peculiar way that, that tends to threaten and shatter our boxes, whether it's our boxes about other people or our boxes within ourselves about how God works, right? And so before we get to our conversation, um, I, I want to just have us take a look uh, quickly at, at the book of Matthew when Jesus comes, uh, at, at the moment when, when Jesus actually has come in Matthew chapter 2. And, uh, and so just a couple things that you're aware of as we talk about uh, what, what many of us maybe grew up with, talking about the wise men or, or singing We Three Kings, which is a terribly not accurate song. Uh, first of all, there, there weren't three of them. We have no idea how many there were, but there are three gifts that are listed. So that's it. So, so we know that there were three gifts presented to Jesus eventually, but we don't know how many were in the caravan. Um, could have been, you know, a couple with, you know, extra treasures, or it could have been a whole crew, and together they offered these things. We don't know. Uh, but, but we're told that, and, and we also think that this, because of our manger scenes, we often think that, that you know, it was like, like a like a shotgun kind of boom, 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 and, and the, the shepherds showed up, and just a minute later, the wise men were like, wow, what great timing. We're, we got here at the same night, too. Uh, Jesus is a small child by the time the, the magi arrive, okay? So, this, so as, as nice and beautiful as our nativity scenes are, you know, we're, we're kind of taking a larger picture and smashing it together so that we can view it in one moment. But, but the magi would have come any time between a couple months after Jesus' birth to Two years, okay? So, so sometime in that time frame, they eventually found him, all right? So anyways, that's just, those are freebies. Um, these are Gentiles, okay? It's really important to know as soon as we get into this story. And, and so let's just hop in, actually. It's more fun that way. All right, this is in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, all right, during the time of King Herod, Magi came, from, or came to Jerusalem, all right? So they're not in Bethlehem yet. They're passing through the epicenter of the, the world where the king was really supposed to be. And he said, where is the one who has been born to the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now here's what's really interesting about these people, the magi from the east. If, if any of you grew up with an older translation of your Bible, it, it will say... Um, it will say, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and said, where is the one who has been born? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And, which is really interesting because when you read, if they came from the east, 
They came from, so here's where we are. They came from the east, and then they saw his star in the east. They're going in the wrong direction. Uh, so the reason that that translation was changed is because the word for in the east also means at its rising, or the word for east. Because guess what? In early pre-modern cultures, when you would point to where the sun was rising, what direction was it? It was always the east. So rising, the word rising became synonymous with where the sun came up. So, so they came, they, but they saw the star at its rising. So it wasn't about a location, it was about a time. They saw the star appear, and they are magi, which means that they are from a certain culture and a certain place where the way that they understand the world is by looking for signs in the stars. Now here's where it gets really fun. Signs in the stars. The Bible has an opinion on looking for signs in the stars, and it's a fairly strong one. And so, so what we have is, first in Deuteronomy, when you enter the land your Lord God, the Lord your God is giving you, and this is, this is talking to, to God's people as they're coming into the, kind of the, the promised land, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire. Horrible, human sacrifices. Who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts out spells which are medium or spiritist. Those two things, practicing divination and interpreting omens, are exactly what they were talking about for the practices of these magi. They say, listen, it's a bad idea to just try to like, go out and find, find weird divine meaning in, in anything and everything, especially the stars. It's an alternative religion. You know, stay away from it. Okay, and then in Isaiah, it follows up again, and, and it's kind of a critical word. All the counsel you've received has only worn you out. In other words, God's people, you're not listening. And then it's, it's almost mocking. Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month by month. Let them save you from what's coming. In other words, God's people, they've turned their back on the poor. They've, they've begun to oppress. They've given into violence. They've become like every other nation. And Isaiah says, hey, destruction's coming. And you know what? Go ahead. Rely on these people that you've started to rely on. Rely on the stargazers. Let them tell you what the right way to live. See, see how that works out for you. It's really kind of biting. And eventually at the end, all of them go in error. There's not one that can save you. All of them, all of them in this, this way. So, so let's just talk about this a moment. <clears throat> so the first people outside of the Jewish people to encounter Jesus are people whose way of encountering Jesus was in the exact opposite situation that God's people have been told to behave all the time. They're doing the wrong thing. They're doing the thing that says, this isn't healthy for you. This is not the best. Not the best way to do this. And God shows up in the middle of it and draws them in. It'd be, hard, it'd be very easy to say, that's just not how God works. You know, that's, yeah, it's, it's not walking in the right direction. But they noticed. And so I want to just, just, encourage you on this simple journey that they had. The first thing was that they chose boom, 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 boom. There we go. When they saw they were looking for something. So the first thing that we see that the Magi are doing is they're willing to seek. They're seeking truth. Now we might say well they're seeking truth in all the wrong places, right? But they're seeking what's true. And so, so they are actually looking for what's real and true. They might not be looking in the direction that God's people said is the healthiest direction, but they were looking. And after, at, because they're looking for what's true, they see something. So first they seek, 
and then they see. They see the star. They're seeking after what's true and something compelling. They wouldn't have known the Hebrew scriptures. They would have had to somehow say, Where, what, what direction is this in? Okay, it's in this, this land. What, what religion, what, what gods do the, does this land serve? <clears throat> what are their holy writings? Okay, let's look in that. And eventually find and be drawn in. So they see something. <clears throat> excuse me. And after they see something, here's what they do. They go, right? They move. They start coming into the land. So they, they don't just see when they're seeking, but they actually make movement. So they get to this, this uh, place in, in Jerusalem. When King Herod heard this, um, heard that they've been, been seeking after the one who was supposed to be born king of the Jews, he was disturbed. He's a, he's, um, king Herod was, he was a very um, obsessive person. He was neurotic in many ways. Um, he killed his own family members because of his jealousy over the potential of them taking power. So this is who we're talking about. So, when he called together the, the chief priests, he asked them where this Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem, they said. And then they, they quote the, uh, the scriptures uh, to him. Okay, so, so what en- ends up happening is he then calls the Magi and finds out from exactly when the star had appeared and sends them to Bethlehem and says, go and search for them as soon as you find them. Report to me so that I might go and worship him too. Of course, he was lying. We know this now. He did not want to worship him. He wanted to destroy this new king out of jealousy. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen went ahead of them until it stopped over the place that the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Such excitement that they continued to move as a result of seeking and then seeing something. There was movement. They decided to come, okay? And when they get there, here's what they do. They rejoice, and they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped, and then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So they came... And then they gave. They, they, they offered who they were and what they had because this was worth celebrating. This was worth actually putting some, some, some teeth into. All right? So it was, it was worth changing some things. And then the final thing that happens, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So they walk back, and the way that they leave is a different way than the way that they came. This whole thing just is killer for metaphor. So they, they walk away, and the final thing that they do is, is they go, but they go new. They go different than they were before. So it starts by saying, I'm going to seek after what's true, even regardless of what direction that took them. And then God gave them a glimpse of something, and they responded by moving and coming toward that, and then when they, reali- when they realized what it was, they said, this is worth actually giving ourselves to in some way. And then when it was time for them to go, they went in a new direction. Beautiful, right? Beautiful. Surprising. Different. The way that God works. There's this little promise that Jesus makes at the end of what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. And Jesus says, and it's, it's after he's taught about how crazy this kingdom of God is, how different it is, how upside down it is to the way the world works. And it sounds very difficult to live out. But he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. 
how Jesus meets people and brings hope and clarity and rescue is as diverse as the people and the stories themselves. But there is a common thread, and that is that when we seek what's true, when we seek what's real, when we remain open to that, then God meets us in beautiful and dynamic and different ways. So that's the theme of the story. God takes people who are open to truth in some way. Tax collectors, the rich, the poor, the religious leaders, like Nicodemus, the outcasts of religion, like prostitutes, the thief on the cross at the end of the story, and the holy man named Simeon, who gets to see Jesus at the temple when it was time to dedicate him, who said, my eyes have seen your salvation, a light for Jews and Gentiles alike. All right, so every one of those things, every one of those people, when we see over and over that God encounters our world, there's this movement. And it starts with seeking out what's true. And so it happened then, it happened throughout the New Testament, it happens throughout the course of history, and it happens here. All right, Dustin, come on up, man. Uh, so Dustin and I are going to have a conversation about a little of this, of, of, of this journey in his own life of seeking and discovering and changing. Uh, Dustin and Lindsay and Dustin, their other son, and Theo uh, are a part of our community and have been for a few months. Um, and uh, they're a part of, of my meal community, which is a special, special privilege. And, uh, and we're thankful to be able to have kind of some time to talk. And Dustin, you've got quite a story. <laughs> <laughs> that we won't be able to get into the whole thing. Um, but, uh, but I want you to, uh, to just share um, with us maybe a little bit of your own past. Okay, so kind of set the stage um, and, and some of the challenges that you walked through, some of the confusion that you walked through. You know, one of the things that we're talking about is God bringing clarity yeah. in the story. And so, um, so, yeah, maybe how you viewed your purpose or lack of in the world. And um, yeah, what did, what did your life used to be about? Give us just the background. I know it's yeah. a huge question. Yeah. So, Do we have you on? I don't. I can't tell. We're on number one. Oh, one. I'm on one too. Uh, that means they cancel each other out. You were? We we weren't getting anything. Oh, now we are. Oh. You're good. Okay. Now we're good. Great, great. <laughs> Thanks, Tyler. Um, yeah. So a quick background. Yeah. Um, I. I spent most of my young life um, in one sort of pain or another, um, just to be kind of vague to get through that kind of quickly. Um, I got into drugs when I was young, and um, and uh, but but really the way I see my story is is I had certain beliefs that I locked in when I was really young. Um, that kind of put me on a path um, sort of downward. Okay. Um, and the, those beliefs were, one, the world is intrinsically unfair. Hmm. Um, and ethics or morality is just sort of a way to, like a way for people who have certain things to maintain those things okay. and for people who don't have things to never get those things. And I didn't have, I didn't have athletic ability. I, I wasn't smooth. Um, 
and I didn't see myself as particularly likable. Okay. So, uh, I, I knew them. I knew that truth so deeply. I ne that was never explicit. I just knew that that was true, um, and that morphed pretty rapidly into into wanting to uh, um, rectify that injustice. Okay. So how did you, how did you choose to try to do that? Fist fights was a big part of it. <laughs> Um, um, and, and to be fair to me, most, I mean, I, I never got in a fight, in a, in a fight with somebody who didn't in some way or, or another ask to be punched in the face. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not because I was a particularly good person. It, it was also because I, I didn't fully act out my own beliefs, thank mm. God. What I mean by that is, so if somebody was bullying somebody else, that would be the person I would attack. But mm -hmm. to be fair, to be honest, I didn't like either of them, mm -hmm. right? I mean, maybe I did, to, to some extent. It's weird, we're animals, and the things that we act out, they affect us. And, 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 and it's weird to say this, but like, as I, as I acted that out, I changed a little bit. And, and I did actually start kind of caring about hmm. about right and wrong. Yeah. So you so in the midst of this, um, your kind of childhood and teenage and what early twenties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you had views about the world that yeah. that uh, that you felt like were were pretty true, and and it yeah. was that life is unfair, and yeah. so you do what you can to survive it and get through it. Yeah. Um, and you can rationalize any sort of behavior because of that. Yeah, or you can just hedonize and just okay. die young. Okay. And that was my And that play. was your that's that was, what I was that was yeah, your approach. That was, yeah. That's what I was Yeah, do. so so kind of living for the moment each Yeah. each time that came mm -hmm. through. But at the same time, so so this we can we can keep moving forward, but um, in the midst of this you wound up in a really difficult situation with a child. Yeah. Um, but not Actually, having much influence in that life, right? Because of your, because of drug choices and or, yeah. or because of your addiction and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So, so at the same time, though, you've got this internal battle going on that you told me yeah. about wanting what's real. Yeah, it's kind of weird. So, so like during that whole, and really, it's it's like from from eight to twenty. Okay. Um, I did experience some things that called my beliefs into question. Loyalty, honest friendship. You um, experienced those. You experienced yeah. people being loyal to you yeah. and And, and me being loyal back, for yeah. which doesn't make any sense because I don't believe there is such a thing. So hmm. how can I, but, but I'm practicing it. So obviously I believe it, but I don't understand that I believe it. Hmm. And that's a really confusing and that's a problem. Hmm. <laughs> it yeah. would be better for somebody who wants to hedonize and die young to never experience that because then they don't have to, then their beliefs aren't called into question. Um, and my, I don't mean literally better. Yeah. It's the opposite. Yeah, it, it ra you are able to rationalize how you can yeah. live without what we might call cognitive dissonance. Cognitive, exactly. Where, where exactly. You're, you're either living one way and believing another yeah. or believing one way but your actions don't line up and so one of those things has to give. Yeah, yeah, so, so when, I'm sorry, what, what, where were we at? Well, so, so I, guess, I guess the question to, to dive into is in the midst of this, 
um, as you shared more, and we talked for a couple hours <laughs> straight, so we're trying to synthesize some of this, but um, you kept coming back even in the midst of, I mean, we could talk openly about this, even in the midst of drug use and stuff like that, yeah. you, you kept having these moments of seeing truth and, and seeking yeah. and feeling like you wanted to seek after what was true and real, and those things did not line up with your current reality no. or what you believed about the world. Yeah, really more the second. The second one. Okay, yeah. talk about that a little bit and yeah. about those moments. Well, they really suck because, like, <laughs> um, my beliefs started to morph a little bit, and and I was just recalling this this week. Um, I started to believe that you could just kind of shift your rea reality could just be whatever you wanted it to be, um, and uh, and there were some influences that kind of got me there, but but you know that's actually also not true. So I started to have some real problems because I was trying to like synthesize a way of living that allowed me to do a ton of drugs and at the same time um, at least appear like I, as if I was trying to go somewhere in the future. Hmm. And that was a way for me to keep the people, now I have people who care about me, which was a huge mistake. Now the truth is that people had cared about me th this whole time, but I, hmm. I wasn't not as cognizant of that as I could have been. Okay. Um, but these people were also next to me more often. Mm -hmm. So like I had uh, a girlfriend who really cared about me. I had friends who many of them were using drugs too, but somehow <coughs> they were, I don't know. I mean, they, they cared yeah. and they cared. And, and that was a real problem. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's where the cognitive dissonance really started to hit a peak because I would say, well, like I would say, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go to college, and I'm gonna, I don't remember what my, non, whatever nonsense I would tell them. I can't even remember because I didn't take it seriously. But you know, they they would still be around in six months and look at look at me and say, dude, you, hmm. like, you just <laughs> you're just yeah. doing drugs. You're not, you know, yeah. you're not moving forward. So at some point in the midst of this, there was moments that made you decide that you actually wanted to pursue truth, whatever that was, like really yeah, pursue it, yeah. even if that was, and I think you used the word terrifying it was, to me. Yeah. Um, how did that shift begin to happen? And we'll talk about how faith entered that story yeah. in a minute, but how did the shift begin to happen for you to say, I, I want to change something in me? Well, the, it, it just got too painful. It, it got, there are two things. One, um, living the way I was living had become excruciating to the point where it was almost every day, morning to night. Um, I got very, very little reprieve via drugs and uh, sleeping was a nightmare. And this was mostly because of the, the things I just said and then I lost contact with my son for uh, a total of six months. <clears throat> and uh, and uh, I made the mistake of doing a lot of mushrooms during that mm -hmm. period. Yeah, we talked about that. And that really messed with me. I had a lot of bad trips. Um, and uh, that, it, it began a series of nightmares that uh, I never, they were nightmares, but then I would wake up and I'd still be living them because it, it wasn't a nightmare. It was the truth. Mm -hmm. the, the, the nightmare was, I don't know where my son is. And then I woke up and I didn't know where my son was. Yeah. So, uh but that, that was something that you had not, you hadn't been aware of those emotions. Not at all. Until in the midst of, of these 
trips. No, because I didn't even think I wanted to be a dad at all. Yeah. I, what I really wanted was for everyone to think I was trying to be a dad when in reality I You didn't care. Yeah. That would have been my that was what I was going for and it was I was incapable of it. So what what strikes me there is that even at the beginning here of of this this story of your own transformation, there is something that in the midst of a pretty unhealthy, you know, practice yeah. that you get a moment of clarity in. Yeah. A moment of, of actually sensing the longing that you yeah. have and it being real enough and true enough to yeah. pull you out to say, I'm, I'm going to be willing to make some changes in my life. And yeah. that was the beginning. Yeah. Okay. So, the beginning. so yeah. And, and so you begin in, in some ways, you begin this road to recovery. Yeah. Yeah. And in the midst of this road, and kind of coming and going and yeah. small starts and everything like that. Um, what, what eventually kind of brought you clarity? Because, because your, your clarity, your ultimate clarity did not come just from getting clean. It was more <laughs> about, it was about purpose yeah. and, about, and about God. Yeah. So, so take us from that. Let's talk about that story a little bit. What eventually led you from the, the clarity in that moment of saying, I, I don't want to be missing out on my son's life yeah. to the step of actually fullness of your own purpose and clarity in, in yeah. the nature of God. I mean, how did, how did your connection with it's, Jesus come around? It's kind of weird because, there, like, like I said, I was in a great deal of pain. But the irony is I hate myself. And sometimes people that you hate, which is why we need to love our enemies, hmm. because the people that we hate, we want to see them in pain. And that's a problem. So it's, in some ways, I, I was happy to see myself in a great deal of pain because wow. I, I really didn't like me. Um, that's a good word, church. <clears throat> By the way, if you were like not with it in that exact moment, that's a really, really important word. The part of loving our enemies oh, yeah. is linked to how we view ourselves yeah. and how we dive into the self-loathing that can often happen in the midst of our failures or in any type of yeah i got yeah. a great deal of that huh anyway um, so yeah so i actually found i couldn't get my life together for me which is probably not true for a lot of people so I, this is this is not a blanket this is just this was just me um and uh but i could for my son because the problem i had was i could no longer disappear off the earth because there is no disappearing you can kill yourself, but you got a real problem there because now you're leaving behind a li literally a, a corpse somebody has to deal with. Hmm. Sorry to be so graphic, yeah. but and, but then all the problems that you never dealt with, and I couldn't do that. So you choose to to move in to recovery, and you meet this Venezuelan yeah. guy. Oh yeah, <laughs> somebody yeah. of yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he sponsors you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and and he told you to do a couple things. Yeah. Yeah, and and yeah. That was it. What, he, told, he told me to do a lot of things. <laughs> some of them may be healthy, some of them not. Yeah. But what, what was transformative in those moments? How did God, now that you look back at it, um, you mentioned, you mentioned yeah. to me two things. Yeah. You, um, yeah. He, uh, he, he told me to pray. Mm -hmm. um, Even which, though you didn't believe in God at this point? Yeah. Well, I, I believe that if God existed, I, I hated God. Okay. So that's an interesting problem to have and uh and he told me to apologize to my ex those were the two probably the two biggest impacts um 
he had. And, and just for a little background with that gentleman, he would not argue or discuss these things with me <laughs> at all. And he didn't tell me to pray to God, actually. He just said, he just said, so he was like 20 years sober. And the only argument he would ever give me is, well, hey, I'm 20 years sober and you're 15 seconds and you're a danger to everybody around you. Maybe you should listen to me. Hmm. And uh, so I did. Yeah. So I did. And I had a, um, I had a number of, of spiritual experiences that were, I mean, they flew in the face of my fundamental beliefs. It yeah. was a, but, but as soon as they started happening, they were so powerful that I, I almost felt like my Venezuelan friend. Like, I can't even argue. Yeah. Because, like, I would get these. So, so just to, <laughs> getting sober is, like, awful. <laughs> because I'm already going through all this stuff, but I have, like, a couple minutes of reprieve if I would do a drug or something. Yeah. Which, like I said, that was shortening. But then to not even have that, and on top of that, all the stuff I'm pretending to do, like I have to do that now. And what I mean by that is I have to actually like go to work and not lie to people, mm -hmm. like not call out and that kind of thing, um, which I'm not capable of. So all of a sudden, my life got a hundred times harder. And it was, I'm like, this is impossible. I don't mm -hmm. know how anybody can do it. That's a painful realization yeah. too, is like part of my di difference between me and everybody else was that... I just, I wasn't strong. I de hadn't developed, and I'm not strong enough to do these normal things. Yeah. Um, so eventually you reached this aha moment. Yeah. Um, and it involved the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah. Can you take us through that? Because yeah. well, I, had a, I was pretty impacted when you shared that with me. Most of my, so I had a lot of experiences with God before I ever picked up the Bible. And they were so powerful and so direct that I, it's feel, it cheapens it to describe them, so I don't think I'm going to. But, but I knew something about the character of what I was thinking of as like the spirit of the universe. Mm -hmm. Whatever this thing is, <laughs> it cares about me, and it wants me to do certain things in a certain way, which was very bizarre. <laughs> but I knew, like, I, I would like, I remember so clearly, I must have said this a thousand times, but like, I remember just being like a week sober doing the dishes and having a spiritual experience and being like, well, that's awesome. I'm going to do the dishes forever. <laughs> <laughs> and then that didn't work all of a sudden. All of a sudden, I couldn't, the dishes didn't. Yeah, you're didn't still chasing it. after that moment and that experience. That's right. Yeah. Which he doesn't want me to do that, hmm. which was interesting. So I knew some of that yeah. stuff. But I really, really wanted to be either Muslim or Buddhist because yeah. those were cool to me. I was like, that, I really want that to be true, but it was dangerous for me to pretend yeah. that something was every time that Because every time you pursued those paths, you felt like it reached a limit. Yeah, yeah, there was truth. There it, was truth, but it yeah. reached a limit where you're like, this can't go further. It's not, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so. That's exactly right. So then I, I, uh, I, had, this, I had this friend in, in Pennsylvania, pastor, and uh, him and I were arguing like we did. And, uh, and he, he's a black guy, and he uh, was kind of making fun of me at one point. He said, he said, you know, you're, you're a white Anglo-Saxon, and you never even considered Christianity. <laughs> he said, that, doesn't, that means you hate Christianity. That's what that means. Hmm. And uh, he said, go read C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. 
and I did, and it, and it had an impact on me. And, mm. and I've read it probably 10 times. I love that book. Um, but what really shook me was C.S. Lewis kind of forced me to actually open up the Bible. And uh, I read, I'm, you know that I, now that I think about it, I think I accidentally flipped right to the Sermon on the Mount. Because I don't know why I would have opened that page. But I, I was sitting, I was waiting to pick somebody up for a, uh, for a meeting. And, uh, and I was looking at this Bible that I, I don't even know where I got it from. But, uh, and I opened it up to the Sermon on the Mount, and all of a sudden, there, wa- there it was. That was the person I'd been talking to. And it was, like we talked last week, just bottomless. I mean, I felt hmm. like if the whole Bible was just the Sermon on the Mount, I could read it for the rest of my life and never, ever, like still not figure it out. And if you're, if you're unfamiliar with what we're talking about here, um, Matthew 5 through 7 is known as the Sermon on the Mount, and it's, it's kind of understood as the gospel's most central collection of the teachings of Christ together. And, uh, and when, you, when you shared that with me and said, I read that, and I was like, I know that person. I just didn't have a name for him yet. Yeah. Uh, that was such a profound moment of being reminded of our own boxes, of what we think God, you, you were journeying toward Jesus, yeah. even with Jesus, without even having an understanding of who Jesus was. And I think that is profound, because I yeah. think it, under, it undergirds the, the truth that we've just been talking about, that, that Jesus seems to say, listen, if you pursue truth, honestly, truly, genuinely, seek after what is true about life, about reality, eventually you will find that in Jesus, yeah. in a way that, is not, that does not have limits in, in any other way. The, the word yeah. bottomless, I think, is, is a fascinating word to think about our faith, that, that we can continue to dive deeper and deeper and deeper into it, yeah. and, and it only gets more richer, and God only gets more full of grace and, and love and compassion as and as freedom. As box it, because I did do that. Yeah, like, yeah. It took all of a month for me to, you know, make a new box, and, uh, and that's been a, to this day, that's a, an ongoing problem. Yeah. Like, yeah, you said you had to have everything exactly figured out yeah. with all of your beliefs again. Yeah. And then when, when there was mystery there, that was a whole new cycle that you had to go through. <laughs> it up again. Yeah. Uh, so, so what is, you know, um, well, let's, let's move then toward, toward the future, toward today. Okay. Yeah. So, so that put you on, how long ago was this? Five or six years ago. Okay. Yeah. And so, so in the midst of this, that, that put you on a, a new sort of trajectory that wasn't just about cleaning up your life. It was about living your life in such a way that yeah. was anchored in Jesus yeah. and, um, and that, that was about the kingdom of God yeah. um, and, and, and truly living that and getting to know God in more and more ways. Um, what is the difference? Just, I mean, we can infer some of that, but what are some of the differences that anchoring your life in Jesus is bringing? Like, where do you have clarity now? about how to live and who you are and about purpose? Um, one of, probably the most major thing that, that I think affects me everywhere all the time is I want the best for the person I'm with and, and for myself. And that's, um, <clears throat> I just, Sometimes I think that, and, I, and Jesus just shows up. I don't know how else to mm. say it. 
Yeah. There's one of the most profound changes that I've seen in my own life and in other people who, who choose to follow Jesus over the years is an enormous shift in the way that we simply perceive other people in light mm. of the grace that we've experienced. That's not just a, oh, I'm supposed to love people. Yeah. That can't happen. The, truly loving our neighbors, truly loving our enemies, mm. truly desiring good for those around us that we're interacting with, even if they do us wrong, is yeah. only something that can happen when we've experienced reconciliation with God in the deepest places where God has set us free, where we've, mm. where we've received that grace and forgiveness so that we understand the, the, the importance and the freedom of it and can offer it to other people. But, but that idea of how I view people over and over again, I, I, I hear that, which mm. to me is like a mark. That is the mark of Jesus, yeah. that, that when I look at people, I don't look at them in the same way I used to. You know, I mean, scriptures are overt about yeah. that. <laughs> they specifically say, you know, we no longer look at people, you know, in this worldly way. We look at them through this lens of being, of, of the spiritual lens. We look at them as, as valuable, people that, that yeah. are worth dying for. Yeah. You know, um, and, and that changes how we see everything. Yeah. Yeah, because it, everything is sort of built around um, people and the development of people across time. So yeah. once you change that, it, yeah. everything changes. Now, you wanted to give a caveat that we talked about earlier because um, oh, yeah. you were concerned, right, that it could, it could come across that your path to following Jesus was really, really hard. You got yeah. tied up in a lot of destructive things and, yeah. you know, you, you had this incredibly unstable life, yeah. you know, and that, and that that could somehow make it look like the average person in this room, maybe trying to follow Jesus, that, that we're suggesting that that's not hard. <laughs> right, because... And you're like, man, life is hard yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, just I, I think about this. It comes up, I mean, it might, I might think this every single day at some point, that uh, I love my life, and it was really hard to get here, but other people had been doing this the whole time, and that's hard too. Sometimes it's, you know, I threw my back out at a trampoline park, yesterday that does not sound cool <laughs> but it sucks and it's real hard to do the laundry you know with your with your back thrown out but like that's hard that's hard too and and although if you met me back then I probably looked a lot tougher hmm. I am tougher today hmm. and I know that the people that we meet every day that you know they look like everyday people well there, there's no such thing as that and 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 people that 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 go to work every day and provide for their families, that's hard. That's hard and, and, and uh, I don't know, I just think I, I, it was literally so hard I wasn't able to do it at a certain yeah. time. Yeah, and, and one of the things that we talk about frequently here is that one of the realities is that everybody suffers. Yeah. That every person suffers and, and we trust that everybody that travels within our own community um, we, we have to understand that everybody fights a battle that we know nothing about. Everyone. And you might have times where you're joyful and, and things are good. That doesn't mean you don't have sorrows in your life or the battles that are still yeah. challenging. And when we can walk around like that, it, it opens the door for honesty and compassion in so many ways. Yeah. Um, but, but it's just the truth. Right? This is what the reality of Jesus is that we have somebody that meets us in our suffering yeah. and continues to draw us into hope yeah. in the midst of Sometimes in spite of, sometimes yeah. through that suffering, but it's mm -hmm. but uh, but it's okay to admit that life is hard, and certainly yeah. we don't want to judge that our path is um, is somehow harder than the next person's just because we've been through something that feels particularly difficult. Yeah, I mean it's fruitless because there's no way to know on yeah. the on the one hand, but on the other so hand, so we make gracious assumptions. 
Yeah, I think that that it's important that we honor our struggles, our daily struggles. Mm. Because an, another thing that I notice, and this may be just more my personality, but it's very easy for me to think, um, you know, this thing that I'm doing shouldn't be hard. That's mm-hmm. a thought that I get, and it's like, dude, yeah, that's not up to you. Yeah, I, I, I wonder how many of us have had that thought yeah. in our lives at some point as we're trying to live faithfully, like this shouldn't be so hard. Yeah. This, this thought p- this thought pattern, this, yeah. this serving, you know, like it shouldn't yeah. be that hard for me to keep patient with my kids, yeah. for me to, to not be so critical about my boss, you know, like whatever yeah. the case might be, right? Yeah. So I try to focus on that and, and man, I can't tell you how often I've met, I've met Jesus in just these tiny, you know, I don't know, like I submit, okay? I don't know why, but I hate doing X. I hate cleaning out my work truck hate it because I have to bend over a lot and get to get the ladders out and uh but I submit to that right like this is what I'm supposed to be doing so just do it <laughs> and and it's okay that it's hard but, but I'm not going to pretend it's not um there's a lot of parallels in our life with of, of faith of making the next right hard decision yeah. there's grace for us when we fail but like yeah yeah it's okay to admit that it's hard sometimes to love yeah. and to receive God's love <laughs> Well, um, all right, so any, any kind of last um, encouragements to people that are either walking through times of maybe some, some deep confusion right now or just they feel lost um, in some of the, it doesn't have to be the same situation, but in some of the, the emotions and ways that you did or, uh, or people who are loving others who are in one of those seasons? Mm. Yeah, um... couple thoughts you, you had mentioned the phrase nevertheless oh, yeah, as a grounding yeah. so I'm trying to I'm just letting yeah. you know that I'm baiting you Thank for you. that <laughs> yeah, you um, yeah I mean I, I it's something that used to come up all the time I guess it still comes up to me now that like um, well it's just like the magi it's like nevertheless God met them <laughs> as long as as long as they were searching um, I, I've seen people just, gosh, just the worst people you could ever imagine. I mean, I was one of them, and uh, and 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 sometimes they weren't even a hundred percent all in. Sometimes I wasn't. Sometimes I was ten percent. I was barely making it and not being that great of a person. And nevertheless, um, um, God saw me through. And uh, and and I think that, yeah. I mean, I, I. But I would also caveat that with. If you're, if you're with somebody who's going through th- this kind of thing, there's no guarantee they're going to make it. I'm sorry mm. to say that, but, but it, there's only so much that you can do. Um, mm. It's possible that I would, I would strongly caution a person to not overhelp mm. because this is a tough walk between that person and God. And if that person's unwilling, they might take a great deal from you. Yeah, and and I think that there's actually parallels there, Dustin, to any any level of of life and challenges. That there are simply things that we we can be loving partners and encouragers and friends. And Bethany and I, in our lives, there have been times early in our marriage, there were things that one of us would go through. And I wanted to save and rescue. Yeah. And yeah, it was yeah. like, no, this has got to be something that you wrestle with God about. Yeah. Like, I can't, 
I can't, or you can't, you can't be that for me. Yeah. There's got to be moments. So, so we walk that line yeah. and, and know that it's not fully up to us. And if you but analyze those thoughts, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, no. If you analyze those thoughts, you might realize that what you're trying to do is, is uh, avoid your own pain mm. because it actually hurts to see somebody else go through this. Mm. And, and it's okay to have that, that desire, but just caution yourself that you're doing it for what you're doing for the right reasons because sometimes the thing to do is just stay still and hurt. And, you know, yeah. not. <laughs> I got pretty deep pretty quick here. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I think uh, that there's so much, there's so much hope. I mean, we're talking about some pretty heavy stuff. But there's so much hope in the fact that God continues to meet people in unlikely ways. Yeah. To, to meet you in unlikely ways, you know, in the midst of all that you've walked through uh, in, in a way that I've seen, you know, I can vouch for the changes, right? I, ha- I didn't know you back then, but I see the way that you are a father and a husband right now. And I know that that's a transformed person, you know, and I can see the spirit of Jesus in that and the way that you talk and, and relate to people. And, um, and I think we just need to be reminded that, uh, that God is a God of transformation and grace and hope. And that nevertheless phrase, I think, is a really helpful thing to, to leave us with. Um, in addition to the idea of seeking what's true. In the mid-90s, some of you might have been fully aware of this, when like the megachurch movement was functioning on full, full throttle, there was this thing called the seeker movement, the seeker-sensitive movement. And it was this whole idea that like we want to make these church services like they made them like rock parties, like really entertaining, you know, really good. They did good art and stuff, but it was like, it's all about creating this awesome experience for the, mm. the seeker that's coming in. And so we labeled, we labeled an entire people group seeker. And what we labeled the seekers were the people who didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Now, what that inadvertently did in so many bad ways is it suggested that the rest of us aren't actually supposed to be seekers. Mm. And, and I think that the problem is when we, when we forget that every day we are called to seek what's true, you know, and called to, to discover Jesus in new ways and be open and look around the world with eyes that, that God is going to meet us in unlikely ways. He's going to reveal himself to us in new ways. He's going to form us through every relationship that we have. Are we seeking it? Are we open to that? Are we available? Um, and and that's, that's the, the hope is that if we are, we will constantly, we will be different. You will be different next month than you are this yeah. month, next year than you are this year. You know, we're never there. Yeah. There's no arrival, but yeah. there's the beauty of, the, of a grace-filled journey, yeah. and it's incredible. Yeah. But we get to be seekers. We, we need to see the magi and say, oh, cool, look at what, not just yeah. look at what God did for those weirdos, yeah. you know, but that's us. Yeah. Let's be that. Yeah. Let's be those people who look everywhere for, for Jesus yeah. and, and expect that we will be drawn in in deeper ways. And, so, and I think that's why you have to... to to honor the small struggles because it it might be the case that in two months that's actually not that hard but that's what you were supposed to do to seek Hmm. right yeah and a lot of time anyway that's good stuff okay (laughs) yeah we'll uh so so 